0: Welcome to Afterlives with Kara Cooney, in which we discuss ancient Egyptian history and relevant current events that we think will be of interest to our audience. I am Kara Cooney, and I'm a professor of Egyptology at UCLA. This podcast is separate from my teaching and research roles at UCLA. In recent years, I've become active in communicating with the general public about the history of ancient Egypt through lectures, interviews, social media, books, and guest appearances. This podcast is my opportunity to take the kinds of deep dives into history that are not always possible in academic formats.
1: Hello everyone. Hello.
2: Hi Hi. everyone, welcome. (laughs)
1: There's three of us. Yes, (laughs) we're doing our first interview. We have our first guest. Um, So first, thank you for tuning in and listening. Um, So today we're gonna be talking with Dr. Rosalind Campbell. About her work. We call her Rose. We call her Rose. Yeah, Rose. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's easier. Yeah. yeah, Rose. <laughs> yeah, Rose. <laughs> um,
1: oh, yeah. We're talking <laughs> about really cool stuff today. Human sacrifice, bodies, bioarchaeology, and Egyptology. So we'll start with a content warning that we will be talking about violence and bodies and sacrifice. Yeah, sacrifice. So
2: Lots these of death. things Trauma. Are, yeah.
1: These are things you don't want <clears> to... <throat> Let's uh, hear about you know maybe take a break from today's episode.
2: Yeah, probably best to pass on that one. Yeah, but
1: cool. So we can we can begin with that you are a trained bioarchaeologist. Um, can you explain what this is to our viewers? Sure, because yeah. they know about Egyptology from Kara and I. But how does what is bioarchaeology?
2: So, bioarchaeology in the u s um, is usually someone who studies human remains, but in archaeological context. So it's different, for example, from forensics, where you would study human remains more in a lab setting or in some sort of legal context. Mm-hmm. Um, a bioarchaeologist studies human remains usually as they're found in an archaeological site, uh, but sometimes also after they're found. So some of the projects I've been on. Remains were already excavated, but then they needed someone to come analyze them. Mm -hmm. Um, So a bioarchaeologist usually also has a lot of archaeological knowledge, usually knows a fair bit about the ancient culture that they're studying. Mm -hmm. Um, So
0: this is a burning question because people approach me all the time wanting to do Egypt and do bioarch. How do you become both? How do you Mm -hmm. do both bioarchaeology and Egyptology?
2: That's a great question. Um, it can be a real challenge. Um, one of the things that I've discovered as both a trained Egyptologist and a trained bioarchaeologist is that when you have two specialties, you often have to work twice as hard to mm. convince the other side. So quite often what I've encountered is the Egyptologist will say, oh, you study human remains, but do you actually know ancient Egypt? Like, can you read the hieroglyphs? And yes, I can. I do know a lot about the culture. Um, and it works the other way as well, right? Um, But what I like about having both those specialties is that you get to come at uh, projects in a really interesting way. Mm -hmm. And I think you get a different, you get a different understanding, right? So like in my research, I'm able to look at the human remains, say what I think I'm, what I've learned from them. And then I kind of zoom out and say, "Okay, let me look at my findings in the context of Egypt. What was the Egyptian mindset at this time?" But what did was- you
0: do an MA in addition, or did you? Yeah, you know, was your order of? Yeah, how did you how did you get that training? Because working with the human body and all the bones and all the stuff is not. I just picked that up
2: on the side. No, no, I definitely had a lot of training. Uh, So my undergrad and my masters are both in anthropology, Uh and I went to a program where um, we had a really good bioarchaeologist, several really good bioarchaeologists at the University of Montana. Yeah, and so I was able to take a lot of classes. I was able to participate in excavations and projects and things like that. Um, And then I came. I I sort of did it on the side. I always knew I wanted to do Egyptian archaeology, Mm -hmm. but I sort of fell into bioarchaeology and it was great and i enjoyed it and then i went to get my phd at ucla and i thought okay bioarchaeology was fine i'm gonna do egyptology now and that was incorrect and within the first year i was like oh no i i love bio i love bioarchaeology <laughs> yeah no it's, well, and there's not
0: enough of them there's not yeah. enough egyptologists yeah, yeah. that work on on this material and so you you need people that have both sides of that training just yeah. crazy because there's so many remains from Egypt. And yeah. yet,
2: yeah. there's actually not. yeah.
0: But you had to get your remains. bioarchaeological training before you came to UCLA yes. for the PhD.
2: Yes. So UCLA I got my Master's in
0: Anthropology.
1: Have that, really. no.
0: We did have a we bioarchaeologist did. on staff as a tenure-track professor in the Anthropology Department, but they haven't replaced that person, right?
2: Uh, no, they haven't. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we'll leave it there. yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hey, look, we have <laughs> one right here. Do they want to hire one? Ta-da! You see, I, I need to have need of a dad. One's available. Ta-da! <laughs> uh, so, do you think it was easier or harder? I, maybe this is an easy question to have to have this specialty, specialized knowledge.
2: I think you mean in two different fields.
1: Yeah, of having like both. You have the bioarch, and you have the Egyptology. Does it make
2: things difficult, or does it more yeah. open more options for you? You think or no. Yes, Yeah. Um, it is harder. I mean, as an example, I've had projects where I presented the exact same study to an Egyptology audience Mm -hmm. and to a physical anthropology audience Mm -hmm. and the presentations, even a 20-minute presentation is totally different. Yeah. Um, Totally different. You talk about different things, you highlight different things. It's just different different. words and terminology. Different words, different terminology. The way I frame my argument is totally different. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of the articles I just submitted recently, um, I very specifically had to think about where I wanted to put that article because the physical anthropology side of the remains that I studied is very interesting. But it is most interesting to an Egyptological audience. Yeah.
1: How do you explain yes. something so bioarch heavy yeah. that most people don't know the names of bones and yeah. all the, yeah. the for trauma and what these things would mean. Yeah. So it's like, how do you translate it? Because yeah. if you
2: just present it to, yeah. you know, a physical anthropology audience, these are know, for people to be like, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay.
2: So yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of it is how you frame your argument and your study and stuff, yeah. uh, which can make it challenging. But also, I like, mm-hmm. you know, I like, I really love problem solving. I like creative thinking. I like thinking about all the different ways you can come at a pro- mm-hmm. problem, so.
1: And so were you, you, kind of touched upon this, but were you always more interested in the bio arc side of things? Like no. bones, and <laughs> we can bring up like bones.
2: I'm sure you
1: get that like all the time, right? Yes,
2: um, I do love show bones. Um, I no, never. I sort of fell into it. Um, I so when I did my undergraduate and my masters um, it, in the US, anthropology is taught with a four field approach. So you have to take classes mm-hmm. in cultural anthropology, in archaeology, in linguistics, and physical anthropology. So I had to take all of those to get my degree. And I really liked the bioarc ones. And um, I always wanted to be an egyptologist, but I really got interested in the bioarc ones because when I was younger, I had a car accident and I broke my hip. And I remember taking these osteology classes and being like, oh my God, you yeah. could still see this stuff on bones. Yeah like you could have had an injury 20 years ago and you can still sometimes tell that something was fractured. Injury. What about just having had a baby? You can tell if yes, someone's you had a baby. You can also or tell not. that. When yeah. I
0: found that out from a bioarchaeologist, it might've been you. I can't remember. Maybe it was Anne. I was like, Oh my God. And then I had the baby and then I realized why Yes, the trauma <laughs> is forever marked on my right. body and soul.
2: <laughs> yeah. I can't anyway. fix the soul. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. yeah it's, I, that's what I think intrigued me is you can find so much information about people's lived experiences and stuff that's not written down. They're not right? going to write this, they, this trauma down. Yeah, and or, the, yeah. it's a whole other side of someone's life that yeah. you can talk about now, and it's yeah, things that weren't recorded, which yeah. I love.
1: Yeah, and to and they didn't know could be read right. And yeah, no, yeah, didn't like this idea of that, oh, when I die, my body's left. I someone think one day <laughs> can like, look at it and tell all these things about me. They will me know that I had season after
2: season of infectious yeah, diseases. Yeah, I had smallpox
1: or yeah. whatever. And, that you yeah. had
2: nutritional deficiencies yeah. as a child. And that, that
0: Akhenaten abused you in a yeah. work camp yeah. Akhenaten.
2: So for those who might be
1: interested in a similar career path, because mm-hmm. I think it's a pretty cool topic. I feel like a lot of people are really interested in both bones and... Ancient Egypt, right? Because we have so many bodies preserved yeah. to us. What would be like your first piece of advice or biggest piece of advice to them? Do you look back and say, Oh, I wish I had done this or this differently? And don't we all. Uh, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> to a degree, but like, oh, yeah. like maybe I should have done a PhD in just bioarc or you know, something like that. Like looking back, do you yeah, what would
2: you give people as advice? That's hard. Um, so I did consider doing a PhD in just bio work. Yeah. Um, I think the problem is I also knew that I wanted to do Egyptology as well. Mm-hmm. and, and, as we've already discussed, it can be hard to find somewhere where you can do both. Yeah. So one of the things I liked about UCLA is we have this interdisciplinary archaeology program where you can actually combine. You are expected to have both a regional focus as well as a topical focus, mm-hmm. right? So Egypt as well as bioarch. And you had two BioArchaeologists on your committee. I did, yeah. You have to please and them able, and yes. you have to please the two Egyptologists mm-hmm. on your committee. Which yeah. is which is a challenge always. Yes, <laughs> 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 Lots of challenges. Um, but I think... Yeah, I would say, you know, look really carefully. For example, one of the programs I considered at the time, might be different now, um, had bioarch and had utology, but the departments didn't really talk to each other. Mm. And so that's another consideration, right, is, is you got to think about, you know, or there was another program I looked at where they said, well, if you want to do bioarchaeology, you join the anthropology department where everybody does, like, Western Hemisphere stuff. Yeah and but if you want to do Egyptology you have to go to the Near Eastern Languages Department. So it's, it's just how the departments are separated. Yeah. Um so in that way UCLA served me very well because I was able to do this interdisciplinary yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. I would say it can be a challenge. You know, there's not a ton of jobs. Um, and it's important to get experience and I was I worked really hard to basically create opportunities at every chance to, like, work on projects with human remains, to work with people with human Mm. remains. Um, Well, yeah, you're on so many,
1: have been (laughs) on and are on so many cool projects. projects. (laughs) Which projects are you on?
2: So right now, my primary project is um, the Mm -hmm. Polish-Egyptian expedition. Words are hard. And it's it's the Temple of Hatshepsut at Shepsa at Daryl Bahri as well as Assasif, So coolest. it's a huge project. Um and Daryl it. Bahri surrounding tombs yes. as well. Yeah, right? so, so it's a huge project. They've been working in the tombs for or in the temple for many, many years. Mm-hmm. But they also work in the nearby Middle Kingdom tombs, Assif. Mm-hmm. I love that project. Um everybody's amazing. It's the coolest Snapchat. It's it's really great. When you're there yeah
1: Snapchat and you're like just my morning view and it's like you're in a tomb, like yeah. looking out over the bay and like the sun and
2: it's pretty when great. Are you going back? Uh hopefully early next year, okay. knock on wood. Um but sure. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully. Um nice. it's awesome. So basically they they work in the temple and then if they find human remains, they call me in because I'm their primary bioarchaeologist. Uh but they also work in the Middle Kingdom tombs and those have all of course been heavily looted, mm-hmm. already excavated. So everything there is really commingled. All the remains are really mixed up.
0: And temples were reused as yeah. burial spaces, so it's quite common even though you think it's a temple, why would there be a body there? But in the third intermediate period and late period, you could use that as a burial ground and you might find a body in a very unexpected oh, yeah. location.
2: There's ground. been several unexpected ones where they were like, hey, surprise, we found these bodies. Do you have like a fun story that you could
1: share and not get in trouble, <laughs> like things that aren't published, but something kind of, of, of the project? you maybe found something weird or...
2: Um, this one is published, so this one oh, I can okay. share. Um, so one of the Middle Kingdom tombs was reused multiple times, yeah. um, including in the Third Intermediate Period, which is pretty common. Yeah. Uh, but what was unexpected was we found the remains of lots of different individuals, including a lot of infants and children. And one of them we found a little foot of a child, and it had gold right on the skin. Not very much, but like really thin huh. gold like she, leaf right on the yeah. skin. Um, Which is really interesting, and I only know of one other example, I think, of... Um, right on the
1: skin. Yeah,
2: and of a child, right? So Full now foil. it's interesting because... This isn't, if you're, if it's a child, this isn't really earned status. So right. now this must be familial wealth yeah, um, or yeah. status or prestige Project or whatever. Family, yeah. And um, the third
0: intermediate period, I mean, let's ballpark it at like 900 BCE. Yeah. And it's a time period also associated with the Bronze Age collapse. Um, Thebes gets things out are, of it a little easier than other places, but things are all crazy. Are crazy. And wealth yeah. is not necessarily in the hands of the people that it had been in before.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. We can't date this particular set of romance, but it's either middle kingdom or, prov- or third the middle, kingdom. Oh, kingdom, it's middle a big
1: difference. Weird, though. Well, yeah. it
2: would be weird. It's, that's the thing is because they're so heavily mixed up yeah, yeah. and they're all broken, the layers, yeah. so you can't necessarily date them. But I've never seen that with the the gold on the skin. Apparently, there is one other example, I think, at Leiden. Where on the skin? Uh, it was on the foot. It was just on the top of the foot. On the top of the mm-hmm. foot, and there was a face also that had a little bit. Wonder if like if there was a linen or
1: like very thin cartonnage. Or something I didn't see any. Like I looked at it. Really and mm-hmm. the stayed
2: behind. But if it's adhered, right no, to it was the adhered foot, right, right so to the uh, skin, which is, is why it was Bernard. weird. Yeah, that's why it was weird. I would have expected it to yeah. be on top of linen, but unless the linen was so thin, yeah. finer than anything I've ever seen, it was preserved. The linen probably. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Very interesting. But that one's kind of cool. Yeah. Where is yeah. that published? Uh, uh, that one is in the journal Polish Archaeology in the Mediterranean, and that one came out last year. We'll put it in. I kind of show notes. Yeah, I've lost all sense of time in the yeah. pandemic. So it came out in the recently. last year or two recently. Yeah. yeah. Lots of cool. time. That's time. I always cool like that. to That's hear cool. fun stories. <laughs> yeah. So, like, there's
1: probably like body parts and you're like who do yes you, like how do you deal with these things and
2: i mean it's pretty great they basically like you were saying i send these snapchats they set up a table outside the tomb and i just sit there yeah. on the cliffside and sort the human remains while looking at the and you have to
0: figure out who belongs to who how do you yeah. figure out who belongs to who when i see somebody do this they're like that goes with this person that's with that person we have individual one and here's individuals i'm like how the hell yeah.
2: do you know how to put these things with which person so you can sometimes do that. Yeah. Um, it depends. So if you have a pretty, if you have a, um, an assemblage where you know you only have a certain amount of people, mm-hmm. or if you have very clear people of different ages, right? Mm-hmm. So I know you guys mentioned in one of the previous episodes those women that yeah. I talked about in Edfu. Yeah. yeah. Um, so in that case... I knew that there was three individuals, and they are different ages. So using my bioarchaeology skills, I am able to look at various bones and say, okay, this is an older woman, this is a younger woman, so then you can sort them. Right. Mm-hmm. Most of the remains I look at in the, the Polish project are so heavily commingled. I mean, these tombs were reused in antiquity multiple times, excavated by archaeologists in the 19th and 20th century, yeah. looted multiple times. Like, everything is so So you're mixed. just going
1: off like, oh, there's four femurs, so yeah. there's... Two people, you just go off, like, lowest possible kind of number.
2: Yeah. You could measure
1: the femurs and see if they yeah. match and see if you've got...
2: But even that's not always accurate. Really? So, so the problem is you can't... We, we call it minimum number of individuals. Yeah. So I was like, I remember this in school. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, elements that aren't repeated. Yes. Like femur, right? But even if you measure them not everybody is exactly symmetrical yeah my femur
0: my femur is salima akram says that when i die if i die first and i don't know about that if i die first (laughs) you're like i have to give her my femur at least one of my femurs because my femur she's like good
1: god look at it so it's like
0: i don't it's like it's a really long femur so but
1: they might not be the same length
0: i
2: don't don't call me that
1: there's (laughs) nothing wrong with being
0: asymmetrical (laughs) Really, it's yeah. normal. No, it's to have very femurs normal. Femurs very different length. Not
2: very different. It's not necessarily no, normal, looking. but it can happen. <laughs> I know. Well,
0: the Forever. thing is, right,
2: especially as a bioarchaeologist, like you're a scientist, so it is better to be accurate uh, than it is to be sensational. Yeah, sensational. Yeah. So, for example, let's say I had three right femurs and four left. Mm. I technically would say I have the minimum number of individuals is four, mm-hmm. but it's possible I actually have seven people. Right. Yeah. But it's better to be accurate. Right. And because once you've said information that you don't know for sure, then people take it and run with it. And now you may mm-hmm. be misrepresenting the assembly. So get all kinds
0: yeah, of Yeah, it's better to be cautious. Be made, yeah.
2: So I tend to be very, and, and scientists in general, I think, especially in biowork, we tend to be a lot more cautious. So everybody's always like, oh, tell me how they died, tell me yeah. all the things. And it's we want the better story. to be cautious. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: So you wouldn't use a tooth found in a canopic jar to assign <sighs> it to a mummy to say that it's the mummy of Hatshepsut. It's something you might not do. I would not. You. So you I just wanted to up. get in there. I <laughs> just wanted to get that in there at some point. Um, oh, so. I would not.
1: <laughs> but. <laughs> So, you brought up the two ladies from the three ladies Mm -hmm. from the side. I forgot there
0: were three
2: because it Mm -hmm. was the old lady. Two of them had been one young, and then then the other two were a little bit older. So, we
1: mentioned that in our one podcast Mm -hmm. about violence and true crime and all this stuff. So, now that we have you here, I think we should maybe talk a little bit bit about it more in depth because I think I said something incorrect too at some point about the. Perry trauma.
2: Oh, oh, I
1: listened I to it, but I don't remember okay. saying anything. Correct, but um, but about it being their cause of death for sure.
2: Oh, I think so, once I read it, yeah. it
1: was like, well, we don't know. Like,
2: yeah, well, that's why so, I'm cautious, and that's yes. way less interesting for most people because you're like, well, we don't know, and it turns out people don't like hearing that we yes. don't know, but yep. that's the real thing. Um, yeah, so those three, there's three probably women. So that's the other thing is that in bioarch you're not always able to say that someone for sure is male or female. Mm-hmm. And so you might say probably male, probably female, or unknown. Because of certain, you have certain markers you're looking for. Yeah. If you don't have a pelvis. Well, no, even if you have a pelvis. So in most cases, you can be pretty certain if you have yes. a pelvis. Um, but at the same time, you're, you're reading these particular markers on the skeleton, and you have to go with what that tells you, right? You have to take the data and tell, say what the data says. So maybe you have an ambiguous-looking pelvis that isn't super stereotypically female. Yeah, thing. And are you, you basing these more. off
1: modern correlates, too? Because, like, would say what today is more of a modern female or modern male body would be exactly the same as an... Somebody from 6,000 <laughs> years ago type of thing. With poor nutrition. But, yeah. And so like these numbers you're looking to correlate things yeah. to, or or do you have good like ancient Egyptian
2: kind of correlates? That's a great question and one of the huge debates of bioarchaeology. Okay. So the good news is with sex characteristics, I notice I say sex and not gender because those are different. Yeah. Um, with biological sex characteristics of the skeleton, they tend to apply across time and population okay. but what is really important is that you know a white european male might look different than a white southeast asian male who might look different than a or sorry than a southeast asian male mm-hmm. who might look different than a south american male so you mm-hmm. have to look population specific okay. as well but sex characteristics ten, tend to still follow the same general pattern so because yeah because metric. you're not you're yeah. not necessarily measuring things metrically you're looking at shape and okay. development of certain characteristics mm-hmm. so those tend in general to apply in the past as well but you always have to consider the population it's coming from yeah right? i mean it
0: would make sense that sex would not be a binary because biologically yeah. it's not a binary yeah. so yeah, even exactly. in the skeletons you can have a male that's more feminized yeah. or a female yeah. that's more masculinized mm-hmm. for, for whatever reason yeah. so it would yeah.
2: yeah okay yeah i mean it's just it's it's never as straightforward as it is in the TV shows, even though I also love those T V shows. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I love Bones. Um but yeah, it's
1: yeah. So these these three ladies. Mm-hmm. Three ladies. Yes. <laughs> we think our ladies and yes. ended up somehow in this silo yeah
2: one. so this one i still and then covered college.
1: with trash right it was like a. well
2: it almost seems like they were allowed to decay so this is a really mm. weird situation that i don't have the answer to but it's so fascinating so there were these three probably women this is at edfu yeah. yes edfu in southern egypt um so i was working on this project run by the university of chicago uh, with Nadine Muller and Greg Marouard, who's now at Yale, but they're now at Yale, but is yes. still working on this project. You're right, yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Say, yeah. oh, they have so much cool stuff. Um, they have amazing stuff. So they totally unexpectedly mm-hmm. found these three bodies in an abandoned grain silo um, from, I believe, it was from the Middle Kingdom. Mm-hmm. They they dated it based on other objects above and below these yeah. these bodies. Um, but totally unexpected because it seems like these bodies were thrown into this silo mm-hmm. after the silo was abandoned. And okay. the other buildings around that area were apparently still in use. Mm. They threw these bodies the in. Um, Which not typical like Egyptian burial Very practice, not typical. So that already signals something very not strange typical. is up
1: here because it's not yep. where you
2: put a body. No. <laughs> and you would expect things would smell. Yes. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Three
0: rotting bodies and buildings right next door, they would Smell,
2: and it seems like they were allowed to decay because on at least one of them, the head was detached, Mm. and I looked really closely because I was like, "Oh my gosh, what if this is decapitation? This would be." There's nothing, no Mm. marks, no nothing. Um, so it seems like it it was allowed to decay, and then there were various processes, yeah,
0: because this disarticulates really easily, and then the head just kind of with decomposition just kind of rolls away.
2: (laughs) Well, it was a little (laughs) bit of a slope, and I, uh, so I wasn't there when they were excavated, but it's I've still tried to figure out. this happened, it's very weird. Normally the head wouldn't detach quite that easily. Okay. Um, but it seems like there were also two dogs in there mm. that died, and it seems like maybe like one of the dogs was laying near, like putting pressure on the head. I don't know, the other two heads were intact. It's very weird. Hmm. Um, and then it seems like they were allowed to decay and eventually covered up. No obvious perimortem trauma, so no trauma around the time yeah. of death. Um. So perimortem would be anything shortly before to shortly after. Like you don't know, see a death.
0: stab wound or no. a
2: broken oh, neck cut. or. No. I mean snapped. you might not see a broken neck. Uh, it depends because if you just manually snap someone's neck, it might not necessarily fracture the bone.
1: Um, you to consider all the things that wouldn't have left.
2: Yeah, markers. It turns out like we are very easy things. to kill. We people like it's, it's. If you break someone's neck, you can't see it in the bone. Not necessarily. It depends how it's done. It depends how it's done. Um, like in the forceful. movies, where they go. I mean, uh, maybe. To be honest, I'm not sure. I feel like <laughs> this isn't something we could experiment. Not- <laughs> with. Let's, let's buy a sheep skull. So it's like <laughs> like ringing a West chicken. Car. Like would- ringing a West car. Bring yeah, us a prisoner. Oh Let my let's gosh! Try it. it would not it be like, a good oh, no, correlate. Do it on a goose. <laughs> so glad this is on the internet forever. Uh- <laughs> Yeah. As we contemplate <laughs> neck and stabbing neck, but you couldn't really do it with a pig or a chicken because but that's not a good approximation yeah. of the. They don't have t- giant t- heads
0: on our t-
1: t- vertebrae. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I still haven't figured it out, and I—it's so, so fascinating. No clear signs of how no, they died. No clear indication of how they died. Somehow
1: they're in this very strange yep. setting. Seemingly toss.
2: Yeah. They, they have, have trauma, trauma to their arms. Yeah. So one of them has uh, what looks like a healed parry fracture. So it's called a parry fracture because if P-A-R-R-Y. Some, yes. P-A-R-R-Y. Yeah. Like you're parrying a blow. Yeah. I like how we all three did that. I'm <laughs> um, ready. We're all, we're all set. Yeah. So if you, there's a particular fracture pattern where if someone is attacking you, your instinct will usually be to fling your arm up. Uh, to protect your face. And so this individual has one that has healed. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also signs of a lot of hard labor, potentially other fractures. Or so yeah. About. So, you know, whatever happened, they, they didn't have an easy life.
1: Um, let's uh, put it that, that way. Was there any, I don't know if you can tell
2: anything like this, that they were related? So, so in order, have to do you'd DNA have to do DNA. And it's, I mean, it might be possible, but the problem is, They've already; these remains have already been excavated. Yeah. If probably thing is every everything is probably already contaminated. Yeah, okay. um, and just breathing and working in the
0: same space as a body well, can contaminate the DNA of an ancient mm, set of
2: bones. It depends which part you're testing. So well, mo- yeah. usually the problem is the DNA has already deteriorated too you much. Have to get it from like a tooth or something, D- right oh, yeah, way. even a tooth. Yeah, um, and of course these bodies were left exposed when. They were deposited, it seems like, and then also were excavated. So it's just, it, it's hard to do DNA testing even if remains are really well preserved. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Did um, you spend time with these bodies?
2: With the bones, after, even though you weren't there for the excavation? Yes. Yeah, I spent two different seasons. Um, they were in storage in a storage magazine in southern mm-hmm. Egypt. Do you talk to them? No, not usually. No? You don't say,
0: hey, how are you doing? Like, yeah, just do you just like kind of like, like, talk to yourself while you're working on them or yeah, what is your
1: Personal, I I'd, I'd have to like. I mean, obviously they are humans, but I'd have yeah. to like in my head like reconstruct like how did that you feel? Like, yeah. And, like even when we worked or just say coffins, what happened to you? What's or, like, going on? Like any? Yeah. We yeah so we'd open time. a coffin and there would be a you know a body when we were with Kara. Yeah. And yeah. You would like, you know, you'd see them and like their fingernails and hair and stuff. Yeah. And always, you know that one.
0: That one. That mommy one, with yes. the Open eyes. Glass I just, the, glass inlay. It the was, fingernails yeah.
1: always get me. And I yeah. don't know why, because it's like something that's, yeah, like finger and toenails. And I stuff. talk
0: to coffins all the time, and there's no yeah. body in there. But I'll be like, "What do you have to show me? What's going on? Yeah. What's going on with you?" And but that's just also my working or has, style. So. Has
1: something ever? Like, have you ever found something like a a kid or something that has evidence of trauma and that has like gotten to you or something like that? Or do you try to keep a distance?
2: I mean, I think um, some or you're distance is kind nef- of used necessary. To it, yeah. Well, I think I think there's two parts of that. On the one hand, some distance is necessary mm. because you need to be a scientist. On the other hand, I actually think you should never forget that they are people mm-hmm. um, because they need to be treated with respect. And I view part of the job of the bioarchaeologist as telling these stories of these people. Took a quick break. Um, we had
1: pizza and wine. Yes. Cook a break, feeling good, feeling refreshed. I had a
0: cauliflower crust.
1: Yes,
2: it was surprisingly had, good. It was I good, say, right? Actually, it was. Very it could have been yeah,
0: worse. So. It was pretty good. meat lovers. Yeah, I was on we also changed the angle. Yes, we of our new it camera. Higher. We decided
2: because we, liked we the looked angle at color. ourselves
0: and said bad things, and we changed <sighs>
2: it. Never look at yourself in recording. It's terrible. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't know. I just let it go. Yes. It is. Yeah, it's true. it's true. So, on that note,
1: let's talk about your research. All right. So your research looks at human sacrifice in the earliest periods of Egyptian history with the first kings. This topic might be new to some of our listeners. I think perhaps a lot of people didn't know that human sacrifice occurred in Egypt at all. If you think of... First dynasty. Yeah. If Mm -hmm. you think of, you know, the pyramids or, you know, later times, human sacrifice wasn't happening. It's a very, you know, uh, short-lived phenomenon. Um so can you first give us some background to the practice what's the typical narrative that we hear when we're talking about human sacrifice with these early kings and then we'll go into your research on on the topic and your new
2: understanding sure yeah um so i think the the traditional narrative has been um we have so the first dynasty is the first point we know of where Egypt was unified under a single king, right? So there were plenty of people there before, lots of different groups um, interacting with each other, trading and everything else. But the first dynasty is traditionally when Egyptologists say, okay, this is now Egypt as we know it, right? Mm -hmm. It's under one king, more or less a unified ideology over becoming so. Unified um, cultural space, unified pottery, unified artistic style. It's like a state now, right? It's not just different polities that exist separately but interact. It's now Egypt. It's an Egyptian state. And one dude is in charge. At least ideologically. Ideologically. One dude is in charge. Um, So what is really interesting about the First Dynasty is you start to see kind of the beginnings of a lot of things that then are perpetuated throughout Egyptian history for a very, very long time. But this is the period where those are being negotiated. Mm -hmm. Things like the smiting of
0: the enemy. Yeah. Things like yeah. um, different, the king is big and everyone else is small yeah. in artistic representations. Yeah. What a yeah. king
2: should be, right? These, this is a time period where those ideas are being established. The crowns, um, the, yeah. The, yeah. the kilts. Yeah. Yeah. All this stuff we think of as being very typically, oh, that's Egypt. Mm-hmm. This is the period where it's not that it didn't exist before. It's that now this is becoming codified in a new way, mm-hmm. right? Where this is this is what Egypt means. This is what an Egyptian king looks like. This is how an Egyptian king acts. And this is about 5,000 years ago. Yeah, and, yeah. So and, uh, around three thousand BCE, thirty-one hundred, depending on. Um, there's some disagreement about the dates, but around yeah. then, yeah. So about five thousand years ago. Um, so what's really interesting about this period is it's there's so much we don't know, and there's so there is still a lot of data remaining, but there's so much we don't know, and we're seeing the birth of some of these ideas that we mm-hmm. think of as stereotypically Egypt. Mm-hmm. So what sparks this whole conversation is the kings of the first dynasty and one queen. Um, they have tombs, and then they have separate funerary enclosures. And around their tombs and their separate funerary enclosures, they have what we call subsidiary burials. So it's these smaller, um, connected tombs, although they're very small, usually just brick um, enclosures. Body size, more or less. Yeah, some of them are a little bit bigger. They mm-hmm. do vary in size a bit. Um But they surround the royal tombs and enclosures, and as far as we can tell, they all had people in them. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem, of course, is that these are at Abydos in southern Egypt. Abydos was a really important site for thousands of years, Mm -hmm. um, which means that there was a lot of later intrusive burials. There was looting. There were archaeologists and people who called themselves archaeologists, but were Less scientific, shall we say? Yeah. Amalino. Um,
0: Amalino is the worst, yeah, oh, right? Yeah. French yes. archaeologist. Google him. Amalino. His. Just bulldoze through shit, even though he yeah. didn't Early, yeah,
2: things, using methods that we would not <sighs> yeah. be yeah. And okay it, with today. It's easy to critique the past, yeah. but in this case also just not very scientific Even the past, the past
0: critique the past with yeah. Amalino.
2: Yeah, oh, yeah. it's so true. Yeah. <laughs> so, so true. Yeah. Um, so these are heavily disturbed. Um, but ooh, part of the reason people have been interested in them is that in some cases the subsidiary graves number in the hundreds, mm-hmm. and they only occur in the first dynasty in this format, um, so later, what we get is individual tombs of elites, and also Abydos surrounding the tombs of the kings. But what we have in the first dynasty, in some cases, it looks like they made basically just brick trenches and then they sort of slotted in dividers. Mm-hmm. So a very efficient method. Like one mud brick course. Yeah. To yeah. To separate. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, although in some cases, they also made like a chamber and then they attached a chamber. So it, they weren't all this way. But they're all pretty simple. Mm-hmm. They're all relatively standard. Um, and they they surround the royal tomb. And they seem, according to some archaeologists, to all have been closed at the same time. Now, if you have hundreds of people being buried at the same time generally speaking what happened. Yeah, I mean we live in a pandemic now, so our frame of reference is different, yeah. but in general, hundreds of people don't tend to die all at once unless there's a pandemic or you kill them. It's forced. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um so this has been a debate for a long time. Part of the problem has been when they were originally excavated. The excavator said, "Oh well, there's no evidence of skeletal trauma of mm-hmm. any kind." Yeah, um, this was in the 1920s, and so this was around the time those royal tombs at Ur. I was going to bring
1: up like how yeah. swayed they were by. You know, oh, because this.
2: the the skulls at Ur show that
0: the back of the skull, and you can correct me on this, was pierced with a hammer. But they didn't know that yet, like a
2: pointed hammer. Yes, but
0: didn't they have trauma on the skulls? Yes, from but Ur? when they were
2: discovered, they didn't know that. Oh, so, so they, they were dis- just sleeping. So yes, I
1: They, <laughs> but yes. they still assumed that they were some type of. So
2: accidental. they thought it was poison. Yeah, okay. yeah, because uh, the okay. the tombs at Ur. So the interesting things about the tombs at Ur is they are very carefully arranged with like their regalia, yeah. their mm-hmm. you know their chariots and everything else. So the theory the was. Yeah. And everything yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. So the theory was when they were discovered, oh well they're so perfectly arranged, they must have drunk poison and just laid down and died peacefully sacrificing And those lives.
0: are deep tombs. So you can see that those had to have been covered at one yeah. time. And they're not separate rooms with different yeah. brick enclosures. You've got the main king or queen for or Yes. And then everyone's all around them, sometimes right next to them. Yes. So they had to have been killed at the same time. Yes.
2: Okay. So those are a really good example of, in many cases, ideal evidence. Because it's pretty uncontroversial, right? Especially now that they've found out that they have massive head trauma. So that was a study. Um, In Pennsylvania, they actually did a CT scan of some of the remains a few years ago. But for a long time in the 1920s, when these were discovered, they didn't see the trauma. And they were like, "Oh, well, that's like the greatest sacrifice, right? You drink mm-hmm. some poison." Also,
0: about five thousand years ago, like yes, 4, uh, 4,900, Yeah,
2: yeah, I think it's a little earlier. I confess, I'm yes, a little Is it earlier? Oh, it's, I a think it's a little, a little earlier.
1: Can throw that in the show notes.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I'm sorry. Dates, dates are not my forte, um, but, but that's a good thing. That time around the same time, but
1: that's a good
0: UCLA thing, which I really like. I like. I really do. You laugh at me. <laughs> okay, good. No, that's a relief. I actually like that. I don't, yes, I was her advisor, but I don't like, you know, if we get too into the dates and we forget the big picture, Mm -hmm. it can be a problem. Not that you, you forget the dates entirely. You have to be a part of that world, but also dates, especially absolute dates are arbitrary, made up, assigned. And sometimes they get us to think in patterns that aren't necessarily real. And I think throwing the dates out and, and saying, well, how can we work with this can actually be the best way to deal with ancient
2: material. So. Well, because yeah, you can become a prisoner to the chronology, mm-hmm. and then yeah, if it doesn't relative fit, yeah, right? yeah,
1: that's fact. Yeah, that's fine. yeah,
2: exactly. Um, but yeah, so uh, these were discovered around the same time. So I think this idea of there was this exoticism, mm-hmm. right, and mm-hmm. and orientalism, because it's like, oh, these exotic foreigners, it's these European men mm-hmm. who are excavating these tombs in the exotic foreign East, um, and so there's this idea that. Oh, it's so you know there was human sacrifice, and this is so so shocking. Mm. And um,
1: but then you really also dramatic. had people saying no, yes. this wasn't. These were just people who naturally died, and they would be buried around the king. Just like maybe later on, where you have Khufu who has his big pyramid, mm-hmm. and he has the burials of his elite around in mastabas, and that this was just you know a trajectory. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't human sacrifice. And the king yes. would never do something the king about would this. would never do that. How like, would people yeah. agree yeah. to, to yeah. letting these, you know, hundreds at certain points, mm-hmm. right? For of, uh, Close to 600 in one case. Yeah. yeah. So like hundreds. That's for Jer? Mm. Jet. 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 Yeah. jet. Mm-hmm. Um, hundreds of people being sacrificed. And we'll talk about like, you know, if you can find out gender and age mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. But how would people let that happen. Yeah. They would rebel and no one would be okay with this. Mm-hmm. It's hard to kill
0: six hundred people it's in a lot one of people. day or one well, week or not one. Not to month. get
1: into to the fact too that the elites probably weren't that many people, yeah, yeah. So that's like your whole elite body,
0: yeah. You're killing there them were all their children because a lot of them were young, they're right? all mm,
2: not that young, not that young. No, there's no children, yeah. There's no, no children, children, not at not at Abidos,
1: yeah. not that uh, I've seen or like read
2: of. There are children in other yeah. assemblies at
1: Saqqara.
0: There
2: were young children,
0: yes. right? Yeah, and I'm sorry, not children, young men. At so there are
2: younger individuals but they're like young adults okay not children okay yeah
1: at but it's still like you know culling your like 20s male bodies that's like something that's strange people Mm could have wrapped their hands around it why would that happen that doesn't make sense you're just setting up the next reign probably to fail Mm -hmm. like that's not you know creating longevity but my other question is do you think it was just that these early egyptologists like couldn't see Egypt as engaging in such a barbaric,
2: in our terms, practice. I would argue it's not just those early Egyptologists, yeah, right? or now. So I think there's there's always human sacrifice is such an interesting form of violence because to most people now, human sacrifice feels like the worst thing you could do because mm-hmm. human sacrifice is so often your own, right? So when you're mean not, your own. so so there's two kind of. There's a lot of different types of human sacrifice, which is part of the problem also. Mm. But what we tend to think of as human sacrifice is one of two things. It's either you go capture people outside, mm. you bring them back, and you brutally murder them. Mm-hmm. And this is where people usually bring up like the Aztecs. With mm-hmm. right? a
0: public display, right? Yes. Just to see Rip sorry. their
2: hearts out, like yeah. in some of the examples in For Yeah, and those are real examples. But the thing that people don't realize is that is one type of human sacrifice. Mm-hmm. There is another type which occurs in human societies throughout the world in all times and that is retainer sacrifice Mm -hmm. which is the sacrifice of usually people related to the ruler either by blood or by office you know maybe they are in the court or whatever else um and then those people are killed to accompany the ruler in death or to sort of bestow prestige upon his usually his sometimes her, but usually his burial um it's a sacrificial burial yes so there's 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 sacrifice first and then sacrificial burial Mm -hmm. afterwards
1: but so the thing to me is then that brings up it's all about like consent too like if you're gaslighting
0: brainwashing but like
1: so so that's my question obviously we can never really know this but it's like if the person if it's a retainer sacrifice Mm -hmm. you're going with the king into the afterlife maybe people would have wanted to be a part of this? How do we know that it was something that was like forced upon them, you know, It means the ideology
0: is working. The ideology is working so much. We're like, yes, I will be sacrificed. My my stuff son will be sacrificed. Yeah. Yes. We agree this is important. We are sacrificing ourselves for this state, for this king, for these ideals larger than ourselves. And they they
2: agree to go into this willingly. I mean, it's, you can't really get consent from the archaeological records, yes. yeah. But yeah, I think, yeah, you can't. Yeah, you can't. Um, but I would also say that regardless of their actual feelings, it may have just been the appearance of consent. Or
1: expectations. Mattered. Yeah. But that's what twice.
2: a state does. It's always the appearance yeah. of X, Y, or yeah. Z. And it could have been, I mean, there may have been some people. Much like the stories of Christian martyrs who was like, I'm going on to a better place. This is how I get access to the afterlife, the king in the afterlife. That is possible. Obviously, we can't tell that from the archaeological record. Yeah. But I think I do think it's part of the power of the state, right? Is is enacting this ideology in such a way that even if people aren't willing, they know that this is still what has to happen. Yeah. So it doesn't and really I, matter what you think or think feel. I think a lot of cultures
1: have a different idea about, you know, individual versus familial. Community. Oh, yeah. So it's like, okay, maybe I'm doing this one thing that will then help all of us
2: or get us Yeah. You know, and it's not like, oh I Well if it's your only access to the afterlife. Yeah. Right? If the only way you and can get the into the afterlife. To better or the that that kind of
0: the afterlife. Because yes. everybody has an understanding the of the afterlife. Yes. Right. Sure. But but the other cool thing is that it seems to accompany this human sacrifice or retainer sacrifice mm-hmm. seems to accompany a shift for states or to a state Mm -hmm. when kingship is new. Yes. And so so to establish the idea of kingship, this Mm -hmm. one dude, as Jordan put it, who's ruling over everyone who gets to have whatever he wants who sells a different kind of afterlife yeah. mm-hmm. and then people then walk willingly or give their oldest son the or whatever it is.
1: The key Yes. Do it, it. He's yeah.
0: the key and he will pull them into a better part of the afterlife because he has been divinized by people through this kingship creation. And yeah. all of this is like a giant human gaslighting that you see in the Americas, in Europe, in Asia, mm-hmm. old world, new world, everywhere. Because
2: everywhere. it works. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It works. Right. How, what better way to say, I am a god king. Yeah. I literally control life and death. Yeah. Then to say you will die, you will not. Yeah. You will die, you will not. Yeah. Or it or is literally to say
1: like that but to control, control over I life. Need you.
2: Yeah. Oh. You need to come with
1: me. And oh. then they're like, oh, "Okay, like,
2: well, counterpoint, you know? it could also be the person after, so the successor." Yeah. Right, Who says, you You need need to to accompany the king into the afterlife.
0: Because the dead do not bury themselves. And this is the thing we often forget. Is you say, oh, this person's tomb. So this person, Jer or Jet or Den, Mm -hmm. brought with them X number of people. But they are not burying themselves. Mm -hmm. It's their successor. The king is dead. Long live the king. It's the person who comes in Mm -hmm. who's making these decisions for their own happy succession.
1: And as we were talking about in private conversation earlier, the we... Need to do this. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the good for it's you know it's what's best for all of us. Yeah. This needs to kind of happen. Our family, the collective family. 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 Mm-hmm.
0: We're doing this for the for the for good the of good our family. Of, and then if
1: the yes. king in Egypt is what's holding the glue, is the glue that's holding everything, Maad and chaos and the functioning of you know the cosmic cosmic order in place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then if, when he says we need to do something, it's like okay, we need to do this. Like yeah, to keep things you know, in order. Okay. Going back to bio bioarchaeology, so then how yes. in your dissertation, so you're looking at human sacrifice. Yeah looking at this debate of with whether or not it happened mm-hmm. or not and then you know Which is still a debate. There are Egyptologists
0: out there who are like, this never happened the way that some people think that yeah. it did. I would say most Egyptologists do we on like an eighty, twenty percent split of oh, human man. sacrifice versus I think not. Most people give us eighty twenty. percent, eighty percent believing that the human yeah. sacrifice took place, twenty percent who are like, No, 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 this did not happen and how dare you say these things about the ancient Egyptians. Power is not the way you think it is. Yeah. But anyway, so
1: So then for your dissertation work mm-hmm. What was your angle? You got, you were like, I'm going to use my bioarch background. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go look at some of the remains that we have preserved, mm-hmm. um, and try to contribute to this this debate in any way. So you ended up, where were the? Skulls you ended up looking at, it and
2: so they were excavated in the 1920s. But then uh, they were excavated and sent to England, mm-hmm. uh, to the United Kingdom. Uh, so they're in a collection there. Um, but just the skulls. Yeah. Please just tell us skull. how that happened. I have a question here. And please tell us <laughs> because <laughs> at that time uh, uh, there was not as much known about the study of skeletal remains, and it's like we we can't learn anything from these bodies. Yeah. Yeah. They so they would separate those. Goals because they thought that was the most important part, and then they just reburied the post-crania, Um and in part because this was also the heyday of, like, eugenics and that kind of thing, and the person who excavated these was definitely racist. So,
1: okay, hold on. So I think oh, we yeah, should we should explain eugenics. eugenics. Time out. I was telling eugenics time out. Yeah. my dad about this episode today, uh, and I mentioned it, and he was like, what? Like,
2: oh, no. What's that? So... I mean, broadly speaking, it's it's basically um, they attempted to use science to justify racism, which is, has happened many times yes. before and continues the to happen now. Reading up, most perfect human. Yeah, and one of the ways that they would measure someone's value um, was they would estimate the cranial capacity, so they would fill the cranial vault, so kind of the back of your skull. With, with some sort of measurement. you do small beads or something. Beans. Yeah, and <laughs> beans. lentils. That's what I. Yeah, realize. it was sometimes lentils. lentils yeah, um, and then by just by by estimating the volume, they would say, "Well, that means these people are superior to those," which, to no one's surprise, inevitably always favored the white Europeans um, and served as the foundation for a lot of scientific racism, um, which is also part of why they only kept the crania, the skulls, at that time. Because they thought that was... Because they thought that was the most important them,
0: part. And they've got their tape their, measures out, and they're measuring yeah. brow
2: yeah. ridges, and they're measuring
1: the
0: nose capacity, I mean, and breadth of the brain, and all kinds
1: of crazy The same stuff. time where they thought, you know, they could look at someone's face and tell if they were going to be a criminal exactly. or not. Like yeah. They thought, like, all these things were somehow manifest physically. Yeah. Um, in some way, which
2: yeah. is obviously not correct. I mean, science has been used to justify racism yes. for, throughout history. It still will continue is. to be done. yeah. So, then just having the skulls,
1: mm-hmm. how did that really <laughs> affect your work with them? Right? You can still
2: tell a lot of stuff from a skull, but you, you don't have the
1: vertebrae. So, but you like, it, can't can't. Can't. it
2: makes a huge difference. Yeah. It makes a huge difference. Um, and in fact, so part of the reason I wanted to do this project is because in all of this debate about whether human sacrifice occurred, um, nobody looked at the bodies mm-hmm. and everybody, ta- you know, g- granted the, the post-cranial remains so everything below the head was reburied, but we do still have the crania, we know where they do are, you? they're well-documented. Yeah. We're, who's going to find a the bunch of heads? So bodies. where's, like,
1: the body pit? They're so there. So they're supposedly there. they yeah. were
2: reburied in the fort of Casa um, okay. in a giant commingled pit. I
1: feel like we should... Dig that back up. We can talk it's about a that dry later. Place. It's
0: nice. It means that they might be pretty well and preserved And so, even though you can't dug back up, as
1: we were talking about earlier, it's disarticulated and all jumble. And so, you heavily probably can still make some. I
2: desperately assessment. want to find other bodies. Desperately. Yes.
1: So, I was like reading all your stuff and I was like, where are the
2: bodies? Yeah. Uh, we can talk about that.
1: Yeah. Um, and that's just a bite because there's Saqqara
2: yeah, yeah. retainer
0: sacrifices, too. So
2: Less secure, but yes, yeah. we can talk about that. Um, so so it been,
0: Oh, sorry, we keep doing that. <laughs> but it happened in architectural discussion. Yeah. <laughs> and was, now
2: it's becoming, yeah, for like you... Stat- yeah. like, Yeah, Yeah. And- yeah, so people would look at, sort of, the, the context, which mm-hmm. does suggest, I mean, you're, it's early statehood, which tends to be a marker of human sacrifice. Um, you know, they're all potentially closed at the same time. Besides the bodies. Yes. Do
1: we have any indication about the status of these people? Like, yes. you, you've talked in some of your stuff that someone had a coffin, some had coffins, some had some stela. Yeah. These weren't just like, I think people probably assume in most retainer other slaves being sacrificed with the king. Yeah. And that's not. We're yeah, like a smiting
0: sort of like thing enemy, where you take an enemy person. and you
2: hold them by the hair and you smite them and yeah. you put that person in there. This, that's not what the data no, shows. This is No, this is not that. At least not from the data we have. Yeah. So first of all, they do appear to be elites of some level. Um, How do so, you tell if you're an elite? So there's a lot. When they were originally excavated, they did actually find some of the graves still had materials inside that were indicative of some degree of wealth. Uh, they also, some of them had grave stealies, so little like stone plaques that basically said their name. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are, vi- and some of them have titles. So there are various markers that they at least weren't
1: nobody. the lowest social yeah. strata.
2: They weren't necessarily the highest either, and that's another discussion, but they appeared to be elites of some level, um, people who held titles. I and just performed thought of about this weird
1: thing of I wonder if any of these kind of instances, if you could have been a nobody. And then in the process of being chosen for this action to happen upon you, that you were then given status. And it's like, you could take someone who had nothing and say, oh, we're going to sacrifice you stuff." But now you get a coffin and you get a stila. And we're going to give you all the trappings of an elite. And their to try family, family in the living
0: world would probably benefit from that yeah, sacrifice.
1: As well. And make it something, you know, give them some trappings of things in that brief period of, like, grooming them for the sacrifice, um, which we obviously can't know if that's...
2: No, but it has been proposed. So someone actually proposed that maybe um, what actually happened was nobles would offer up their servants or something Mm. like that, um, which we can't really prove. Um, I will say, however, based on bioarchaeological analysis from what we can tell, it seems like these people were probably not the lowest status. You could tell by their teeth or Some of like it. This, if they had yeah. And yeah. the other thing is, too, I mean, going back to being cautious, we can't prove that they're anything other than what they say they are. Yeah. Right? So if their stela says I'm a seal bearer, you can't really prove that they're not. And so to say that this is definitely, I mean, it's just you can't actually yeah. say with
0: any certainty. And you can't prove that they're all the brothers of the new king either, nope. unless you did genetic mm-hmm. molar right. analysis and prove they were all related. Then you can make a circumstantial argument, but you don't have the king's DNA. No, so you can't. Yeah, we don't have the any of those him. kings.
2: Yeah. yeah. We don't have any of those kings. Um, and also from a purely practical standpoint, if you have 600 people buried around, too many tomb, brothers. well, and sisters too, there's women as well, but that's, that's a quite a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. But one of the interesting things about, retain our sacrifice in all early states is that it tends to occur at this sort of birth of a statehood, you know, new imposition of an ideology that didn't exist. And it's that vulnerable moment exactly. when you're moving from one king to yes. another. Yes, yes, exactly. But then it ends. It always ends. Yeah. And one of the arguments is, like you mentioned earlier, this is a huge economic loss. Mm. From a really practical standpoint, you're oh, losing cool. these people's <laughs> ability to bear children, bear social labor. You, yeah, their their cumulative knowledge yep. um, their expertise, this is an economic loss. So at some point, it's like a the scales tip. yeah yeah, and it's, yeah. A win. and it's worth it for a while and then at some point it tips to where it's yep. no longer economically short term versus long term in the yeah. short term it's incredibly
0: effective it's very and the effective. cultural memory of it lasts to this day yeah you go to places in egypt and burial places and a tour guide will say oh or or somebody will say oh was the queen sacrificed or the or the craftsman sacrificed and you you kind of shake your head But But it's only a couple of hundred years earlier Mm -hmm. than it was seriously, in truth, the case. Yeah. Not for the fourth dynasty, but for the first. And that cultural memory, to create it, you need blood. Mm -hmm. and sweat and tears Mm -hmm. to create it you have to create it through trauma and then people don't forget that shit and then that kingship like digs its its roots down very very Mm. deep
2: yeah which it does just because it lasts for thousands of years and even when it fails we still
0: have a hard time criticizing this kingship today Mm -hmm. true i would argue yeah
1: yes we really hope you enjoyed the conversation part two will be released in two weeks thanks all
0: Thank you to our listeners for your support and for subscribing wherever you listen. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star review and help raise our profile and let others know about it. Send your questions related to the show and topic suggestions for future episodes to karakuni at gmail.com. You can find the video version of the show on my YouTube page and full show notes will be posted in the podcast section of my website, karakuni.squarespace.com. For that, thank you, Amber Myers-Wells. There you'll also find info on my books, upcoming lectures, and you can subscribe to my newsletter. You can find me on Facebook at Karakuni Egyptologist and on Twitter and Instagram at Karakuni. See you next time on Afterlives
2: with Karakuni.